to episode six of the bottomless podcast that is bottomless spelled b-t-t-m-l-e-s-s uh if you're a return listener thank you and welcome back we're so happy to to have you with us if you're a new listener or first time listener thank you as well and we hope you stay and plug in um and just kind of follow us along for for wherever we go with these episodes and if you are a last time listener shout out to you too we understand and we hope you return one day um so uh to just move along forward do some introductions and kind of explain what's going on with our look my name is Kevin, and I am joined with or by Lil V. Probably seeing my podcast voice. <laughs> Azula, Princess of the Fire Nation. It's so <laughs> happy, ha- happy Halloween. Yeah, Keon. for real, for real. Yeah. Wow, that <laughs> yeah, is so actually really good. So we thought it'd be cool for this week prior to go ahead and, you know, fulfill a little Halloween spirit. So we all decided to go with something that we could all kind of come from the same, uh, like, cartoon or whatever. And so I'm <laughs> Prince Zuko. And Vince, you are? He's the Dev Patel Prince Zuko, to be clear. You just are. <laughs> and, and to be clear, when this episode drops, it'll be a day or two out of Halloween. So this is right on time. But That's I am true. Yeah. And and then of course Leslie already said she is Princess Azula. It's fucking lit. It's lit. You guys yeah. look. So I got the whole on over to our YouTube. Yeah, if you're on Spotify so listening, this is worth coming over to our YouTube. Sure, for we sure. were. To be clear, we were specifically inspired by the live action film. Just the cinematic <laughs> genius pushed us to choose. Yeah, this that's as why our it's costumes. so good. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah, so we're just having fun and we're just dressing up a costume and this is kind of fun, full, cool, festive. And yeah, this is what we're doing this week with our current topic. Oh, and I actually real quick, I want to just drop this hot take before you guys get into your hot takes on Avatar. I feel like the conversation has recently emerged of like people have realized that it's written by two white guys. And I just wanted to real quick drop my opinion on that because mm. I didn't know and then I found out and I think it's sort of, it seems to be universally understood that like we all love this show and it's beautiful and like, you know, it pays homage to like a bunch of different Asian cultures. Um, but I also am very much excited about the turn toward letting people tell stories about themselves. And I would be fine if I never saw another cartoon or movie about Asian people made by white men. That's, real so that's my opinion. But I love Avatar The Last Airbender. It's a great show. No, that's real. Yeah. Yeah. 10, 10 recommend. Speaking of hot takes and like stuff that's in the discourse now, I want to do a shout out to um, the coon of the week. <laughs> Sorry. We were, I, th- I was really leaning into this hot take. We, uh, <laughs> we'll um, find our groove with it. <laughs> we'll find the right balance. <laughs> yeah. The irony is if we all get canceled because of something that I or Leslie said and not Kevin. Like, that's the sweet irony if <laughs> so that ends true. up being the case. You know, I've heard <laughs> feedback real quick. I've heard feedback from one of my friends who doesn't know Kevin. I was like, so what's your, like, uh, impression? And she was like, you know, Kevin's so pure. 
<laughs> so you're not canceled at all. Don't worry, you're good. <laughs> Vince, Vince, oh. Vince, don't sell me down the you're river, right. Vince. Vince, shut the fuck up. Don't sell me down. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's see if that's still the case because yeah, I good. wanted to see what Mr. Purity's thoughts were. Um, yeah, if if you hadn't known. Let her rip. <clears throat> about a week ago, less than a week ago this week, 50 Cent came out talking about how he was endorsing, quote unquote, Trump due to Biden's tax plan. And he was basically saying, his tweet literally says, um, sorry, mom, but quoting directly, uh, sorry, everyone's mom. It says, what the fuck? I'm out. <laughs> Fuck New York. The Knicks never win anyway. I don't care. Trump doesn't like black people. 62% are you out of your fucking mind? Um, <laughs> and then, of, understandably, everyone, black Twitter, in the media, the liberals, the conservatives who don't care about what celebrities think, apparently, quote unquote, everyone started melting down. Um, so I have some opinions on it, but I want Kevin to get canceled first. And I actually have no idea what Kevin's thoughts were. And he's been, he looks like he's about to fight. So I, I'm curious what you thought. Okay, be, okay. He's just a troll. So I don't know how serious we can take it. And he just took, walked it back the morning of us filming this. Um, <laughs> but what do you think, Mr. Which is October 25th. We're filming this on October 25th. And two yes. hours ago, he apparently walked it back. Okay, so let me try to give a Cliff Notes version of my my knowledge of 50 Cent. Because, of course, for anyone who doesn't know, um, I, I'm, I'm 29 years old. I fell in love with hip-hop at age 11. One of the first rappers that I fell in love with hip-hop for was 50 Cent. Um, the, if anyone who knows hip-hop, get Richard Die Trying album. Anyone who really, really knows hip-hop, they know that 50 Cent and G-Unit um, was an impact upon hip-hop similar or akin to that of, like, uh, Dipset or, like, these big or, or um, the Hot Boys or Lil Wayne. So, so like, and my and one of my most impressionable moments in life, 50 Cent comes out. And so, of course, the, just his impact and influence on me as, as, as someone who loved rap music growing up is really big. So, but also from age 11 to age 29, I followed him closely because motherfucker really got shot nine times. Motherfucker really went through some like, he was really from the streets selling crack, doing like he was really in those New York streets doing a lot of gangster shit. Like prime crack pandemic time, right? Like, yeah, like he, he was really in this shit. So, so if, if, if for, the, for those of you who don't know, um, within hip hop culture, within black culture specifically, there are certain regions and areas of the United States that they don't care for your PC shit. They actually, they, they, they don't play by your rules. And some of those places are like Florida, some of those places are Louisiana, some of those places, and some of those places are New York. Um, like people in certain, especially underclass or like people who are in gangs or might've sold drugs, they don't really care for your PC. So 50 comes from a background and I understand this. So that's why I'm able to empathize episode, whatever that was with him because he come even if which I do think Wait, he was I just joking. have to say I love how we make like whenever we say empathy we make it a thing as if we invented the concept just because we talked about it one time. No, we did. <laughs> it, it only exists in the universe. Like, every of time our we podcast. say that now we have like a twinkle in our arm. We're like, yeah, we did that. <laughs> um. Well, I and, I and also this is a podcast. I may never get famous, but I do think that we're we're particularly unique in the sense that we were talking about empathy at the height of when everyone is really upset with Trump, and we brought up the whole empathy with Trump. So anyway, in, in referencing Dr. Cornell West for that reference. Anyway, I've been watching 50 Cent from age 11 to 29, 18 years. And also, um, I, I, I'm someone who like, so I can appreciate some good shock. Like, I mean, Leslie and, Leslie and Vince kind of know this about me. Vince more so knows this about me. Um, I appreciate some good shock value. Uh, what, what I know kids, that about you. What, what kids today might call trolling. So 50 
combined with the fact that this might not have been where that came from, came from an environment where he don't give a fuck about none of your PC shit and ain't finna, just cause he black ain't finna vote Democrat, which I don't know who he's voting for. I, I, I'd be surprised if 50 Cent actually ever voted in his entire life cause I honestly don't think he give a fuck. But um, put that to the side about where he came from his environment. I, of course, I do think it was just coming from a place of like, he, if you understand 50, he's a business. He's not just a rapper. And so he understands the, the, um, the value of, of attention trading. So he sells liquor, he sells a TV show, he sells music, he sells clothing, he sells headphones. He understands that keeping your name in the 24 hour news cycle is important. So if he can say some shit and also doesn't care, like he also likes shock value, if he can say some shit that's gonna get his name in these dumb ass news networks headlines because news networks have nothing better to say because we've literally got to the bottom of the barrel in terms of news content. There's no more like journalistic integrity or people providing actually like, uh, nutritious content to our like news feeds and Twitters and Instagrams or like CNN or even Fox News, fuck every last one of you. Um, then it opens the door for anyone and everyone with any sort of social platform who understands how to attention hack to come in and say some shit. So 50's like, oh, I haven't been in the news cycle in a while. And that might've been the reason why, but if he can just sit there and go, fuck it, I can, I can afford to say this shit and says it because he actually watched other rappers like Kanye West do it. And, and Kanye went from 3.3 billion to 5 point something billion. People are still buying the shoes. 50 on multiple layers of strategic and also just attention hacking probably understood it'd be funny to say it'll get me in the news cycle and they ain't gonna cancel me because ain't nobody getting canceled no more and if they are that shit ain't really doing nothing um so i can just say this shit so i i i saw and i laughed um and of course everyone who doesn't everyone who doesn't know I'll say this openly. I don't think I've ever said it openly on the podcast. I unabashedly voted for Trump in 2016, not voting for him in 2020, definitely voting for Biden. You if have I, said actually, it. actually, actually, I feel no, like no, you no, said no. it like three times. <laughs> let me, let me, let me say this because it's a safe space with you guys and to our listeners. If this makes you a last time listener, um, so, well, fa- so, so we think farewell. Um, I am, I am 100%. And this isn't like something I want to argue about. I'm just saying it because I feel like it's important to be like, for me as a human being, to be open, to be honest, and to not like, not to be like afraid or, or intimidated by like people's political like uh, rhetoric. I'm 100% going to write in Kanye West on the ballot. Let me purposefully be silent after that statement. So all that to say, um, as of right now, I don't endorse, support, nor agree with Trump at the time I did in 2016. We won't get into those reasons. So seeing Fifth say that I come from, I'm a poet, but when I see comedians, like I feel like I was supposed to be a comedian in another life. Like I watch comedians and like the shit they do and the things they play with in terms of rhetoric, in terms of language, in terms of speech, in terms of um, group thought and playing with ideas on the outskirts and the margins and pushing the line. So when I see that, like the, yeah, playing with emotion, I see that in the artistic, part of me that kind of identifies with comedians being a poet and just understanding having to be on stage for an hour and trying to captivate audience attention i i appreciated it and i didn't i didn't, whether he meant it or not and clearly he, re, he redacted the statement whether he meant it or not i appreciated um the art and the 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 game of like i can we can we can like we can like spark conversation if nothing else i mean i didn't take it that seriously at first because i know he's a troll like he he walk so six nine can run like i i wasn't thinking that deep about it but i think i started thinking more deep about it when i saw the response and not just people that Mm. like like i think there's limits to this like pc analysis of these kind of things like i think it's true to Mm. an extent and i think there's you know like i'm sure like neoliberal media like cnn like was up late at night stressed about this but even like conservatives like 
Kundus Owens and like Tammy Lauren coming out of the woodwork saying how um like Did you just make that up? <laughs> yo, that ta- yo, 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 Tommy no, bad. You, you, you nah, you ain't gonna disrespect Tommy. Tommy bad is shit. Shorty bad, you ain't gonna disrespect <laughs> No Tommy does look good. Shorty um, bad. Just Shorty bad. The, she just, the she, closer she just... You, you get to her, the more the shit smells that you can see coming from her fucking rhetoric. <laughs> I was just only irritated because I feel like like I, I mean, we don't know how much of a joke it is to him, but I feel like there's truth in that people really like the fact that he literally said, I don't care about the racist shit. I don't want to have to pay more in taxes. Like to me, that's mm-hmm. very annoying. It's, it's irresponsible. And I think uh, we had a demo really, very quickly since this isn't released. We should release our demo episodes, um, even though we, we only yeah, have we like, go back and watch them. like small clips from here and there. But we had a discussion about like hip hop culture as it manifests and guys usually as like hustler culture selling like drugs or whatever. And with women, like there's the, the newer version that's like Cardi B city girls, um, thoughtin'. And I said it then and I'll say it now. Like I fucks with that heavy. Like I love that, that art. I think it's powerful. I think it's like subservient to the status quo, but I think there is a limit. And Wait, that subservient? is, it's like, um, am I using that correctly? What do you I, mean? I mean, mean like inferior? It, it, it bucks the status quo like it, oh, it, it does that make sense um, well i think subs- <laughs> i'm not trying <laughs> i was genuinely wow, trying to understand a good lie fact well, check because no, subservient like means like, like you're below. like serve like you're below what's a word but, that's like you're so, below yeah, so, but you're bucking authority countercultural it's Ooh, uh, that but like word. more of a verb subservient means prepared to prepare to obey others un- unquestionably Ooh. Can you look up Less, the antonym subservient? Let me see if I can find that quick. Y'all keep talking. Oh, there's a good word. Sorry. Uh, well, was... whenever we find the word, plug that in there. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I, I fucks with that, but I think there's a limit to that analysis. And mm. if you think, if you think revolting against a system to find success in the system is the end goal, then you have a mm. limited view. The view is to dismantle the system. So if Yee. you as like, um, if you as young 50 cent growing up selling drugs in a system that um, does not care about your life uh, the goal isn't for you to just be successful and find representation in the system the goal is to dismantle it so that others don't find themselves in the same place thank you for coming to my TED talk love what's the word bit. Um, like the, the basically the antonyms are like superior independent domineering so like boo Those are yeah, it's, it, there's a better word if you're listening, comment a good word that describes what I'm attempting to say. We love engagement. Vince is basically saying that he prefers Cardi, like Cardi B and City Girls. He, it's preferable to him over what the status quo currently is within hip hop culture of women to do probably what's culturally normative or acceptable and what men want, what, what some men would want to hear from a woman, which is not bad. But like, if you see women in no, hip hop- well, to not- be clear, it, it's not just, I, I, I am pro the 50 cent like hustler culture do what you got to do to get to the top. But if that's where you think the struggle ends, then we have some profound disagreements. Um, and that to me, that's like the liberal mode, right? Like to them, yeah. they're not trying to fix the system. They're trying to have black representation in the system. It's that meme of the Middle Eastern people being bombed and they look at their friend on the side. And they're like, didn't you hear like the pilot is the first like black non-binary um, like... <laughs> 
like war pilot and it's like okay well you're still bombing people like the representation is is not the end goal um, no that's exactly. real that's real exactly yeah it's like people saying what how can trump be sexist he's appointing he's trying to get amy coney barrett onto the amen like, <laughs> right that, 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 like, that's the extent of your analysis like come on now amen it, what you guys said reminded me, this this is my input on it. It reminded me of this quote I really like by Ursula K. Le Guin, who I got exposed to last year through a book club. She's like a pioneering woman science fiction writer. Um, and a lot of her ideas were pretty like new to the scene. But she has this quote from her book, The Left Hand of Darkness. And it says, um, to oppose something is to maintain it. They say here, all roads lead to Mishnori. To be sure, if you turn your back on Mishnori and walk away from it, you are still on the Mishnori road. To oppose vulgarity is inevitably to be vulgar. So it's basically what Vincent is saying. There's like, you can't just like react in relation to the system that you're in. Yeah, you have to like step outside of it mm. and like dismantle and create something new. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Which to be clear, isn't like I, I said that's a critique of hip hop. Like not every rapper has that MO. Like there's people that are Oh yeah. Like like I the most dramatic example was no name coming for J. Cole with that beef. But like there there is a culture or like Killer Mike, Lupe Fiasco, like some people do have it just so anyone that's listening to this that like is eager to like be like, Well, that's hip hop is all about like gangs and stuff. Like I, that's not what I'm saying. Mm. So I'll be very clear like that. That's not necessarily indicative of all hip hop. And I still fucks with it heavy. Which is funny. Cause I don't know too much about Lupe, but what I do know is he is, he is otherworldly intelligent. And from what I believe him to not have said in his music, early days music, but like what he said in his like IG live videos, that motherfucker comes from a very violent environment where some real people will do some real ass murderous shit to you. So it's just funny because he's like very, he's, he's very, very intelligent. He's very responsible. He's very educated and informed, but he also lives in an environment that could easily produce that gun talk and that he's gang saying, talk and that drug. Yeah, don't get it chopped and screwed. He can give you some words. He can also let the, the chopper screw your ass up in those streets. <laughs> <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> Speaking of death. Yeah, speaking, speaking of, of speaking <laughs> of speak <laughs> intro than that, but that's the best one. <laughs> speaking of getting chopped in oh them streets. Look at God. So yeah, we wanted to talk about death today. Um and it's nice that this is gonna come out like a little bit before Halloween, because there's obviously tie-ins there. Um but are you guys like already in a place where you've thought a lot about death in your life? Yes. Like yes, maybe 1, from the time of growing up, like basically how comfortable are you with your own mortality via like what your experiences, you know, like thinking about it and like your exposure to it growing up and stuff. Vince, you want to go first? You want me to go first? He lip pointed at you. Oh, okay. I got right, you. I got, I got, I got, I got my bad. <laughs> Yeah, if you're listening on the podcast, Vince is like prusing his lips at me for like five minutes. All right, so um, no, I, I've, I, I'm incredibly, I'm incredibly uncomfortable with my own mortality, but thankfully it doesn't come up a lot in my everyday life. I very rarely think about my own death. Me and Vince have actually talked, and I've come to LA and visit. I've actually mapped out what I want to have happen when I die. Meaning, as a poet, I want a career mm -hmm. in poetry. What I, the, one of the things I want to do is, as you can tell, we have a lot of fun when he comes to LA. He comes, oh. we have a great time, and just talk about death. But 
one of the things it's I told lit. Vince, I told Vince, I said, one of the things I'm going to do is like someone like you or someone who like, if I can build a company with poetry and I can have like friends and people I trust to like endow with my belongings and with my, with my IP after I die, I want there to be released on like Netflix and YouTube and all these platforms immediately upon my death, like two months after, a year after, two years after, like hour long poetry specials and poetry videos. So like my work continues to live on after me. So I've met, I've meditated on it. I've even planned out things that I would want to have happen after I die. And when I actually, like if I have, because of my job, because I have to deploy and because my job is, is something that's actually um, a risky job. It's only in moments like that, where I may be put into a situation where death is possible that I get incredibly uncomfortable and like, oh shit, like this doesn't feel good. But outside of a scenario that could actually result in death or that has a percentage to, re to result in death, I actually like, whenever I think about it or it comes across my mind or I meditate on it, it's more of like an introspective, like very soothing meditate, like drink some tea, have like a Kung Fu Panda moment, like a little mouse guy in Kung Fu Panda, like Master Fi Shifu and just sit there and like, I get very like meta and I draw out, like I'll sit there and go, okay, it's 2020. What do I want to do? I want my poetry to be read in universities 500 years from now. So am I, so like, that's how I think about death. It's only in, mo so I do get uncomfortable. I have gotten uncomfortable, but it's usually only when I get in situations where I feel like, oh shit, like this is very unsafe. This is very risky. And I could actually die. I don't want to die. I'm so scared of dying, but I only feel like that when the situation demands it. What, maybe you kind of, maybe I missed it, but what kind of situation demands you to think about death? So like, um, like even just being even being deployed, like a mort mortars hit those bases. Like you you could walk out and you could hit see see a mortar hit a base, or you could be like traveling in a certain air. Like you could just be going from the United States to another airspace, and motherfuckers is like launching rockets at you, and like those rockets can reach up and touch your plane. Um. So yeah, it's just like I mean, just any any sense of being in a war zone, like having to go outside the actual confines of the base, or so yeah, th those kind of situations. Leslie, have you been in a situation where, like, you were looking at the face of death, maybe, or thought you were? I, I don't think, I mean, I haven't. Like, near-death experiences or something crazy, a final destination moment? So, yes, I've thought about death since I was a kid because there were some people in my life who had power and would often put me in positions where I had to think about it, um, often in a car. Mm. So my thinking about death mm. and like, yeah, to easily answer, mm. like, I think about myself dying every time I drive in a car and like one day I'm sure that I'll work through that, but it, it's not even like really a heavy thing anymore. It's just so ingrained where I'm used to like, when you're in a car, like you have to be on high alert that like, yeah, I think about it a lot. So I feel very comfortable with it. And I feel very, like, I'm very used to thinking about people in my life dying as well. Cause they were sort of like also in those situations a lot. Mm. Which is not as heavy as it sounds. It doesn't feel as heavy as you know what I mean. Like it's, <laughs> but yeah. So you said you haven't as much been in those situations. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, uh, so for me, no, it hasn't been like in the context of me looking like at death in the face. Um, I do think about death a lot now. I, I don't think I did growing up. I, I was trying to reflect on my posture then. And I, I definitely lost a lot of people when I was younger, but they were all older, like family members, which is still sad, right? Like I lost yeah. two grandparents, my grandma, like my godparents. But I feel like 
my young conception was that this was something that was waiting for me decades in the future. Not that, that it could impact myself or anyone that was like my age or even like my direct parents. Um, do you remember, then, Vincent, do you remember real quick, like when those older figures in your life died when you were young, how you actually emotionally reacted? Like, was it, could you even, like, were you actually sad or was it more like, oh, I see that people around me are sad. Like, I guess I'm sad. Because I feel like when I was a kid, you know, like one of my grand, great grandparents died and I remember distinctively, like, I think I was under 10 and I was like, oh, like, and I like tried to make myself cry. <laughs> so I'm just curious. If wow. You- <laughs> You're cosplaying grief. Love that. Um, I, I also didn't know him that well. So that's the thing. <clears throat> I feel like I did, I was like genuinely really sad. Um, mm. These are all people that I care about. Like I was close to my godparents with my, like my papa. But no, I definitely felt like a visceral sadness too. Um, mm. And I think it wasn't until I was older when I started losing people that were my peers that that like facade cracked. Um, and I realized it, it could be any of us. Mm. Um but yeah, all that to say, no, I haven't been, I haven't been in any final destination situations yet. Well, oh, that being the case, how comfortable. So Kevin basically said like, he feels very uncomfortable with it. I'm basically like, I mean, not that I'm over here, like hoping that, but I like, you know, I'm pretty comfortable with it. What's your level of like, if you think about your own yeah, death? If, yeah. if I'll be very honest, okay. um, I think about death a lot. So I'm pretty comfortable I am less comfortable talking about the extent of which I think about death or I'm comfortable with death, if that makes That's sense. Real. That's real. Wait, you're comfortable with it, but you're less comfortable with talking about the parts that you are uncomfortable about? I think I'm just, saying? I think I'm comfortable with it. I have a comfortable relationship with death and mortality, less comfortable with the relationship of having to talk about it. Like, so, it, like mm. it still feels heavy, but it's not uncomfortable. So it feels weird to... Yeah, to to talk about it. Yeah, for sure. That makes sense. Yeah, I was gonna say to tag on to Leslie's um, take that she had on it. So going outside of our own like comfortability with it in terms of our own death. I remember the first time I I actually thought thought about death was like I I would be I was in Arizona and I was so that means I was like in second or third grade and I remember at night I was just it, it's it's it was such a strong memory which is why it's so vivid in my head. I remember like provoking myself to think about what it would be like if my mom was gone and i remember it was the and i think a lot of people can relate to this like there's people like damon there's people like damon dash people like kanye west who talked about like the greatest fear they ever had in their entire life was losing their mother and then of course both of those people lost their mother at it well kanye west i mean he he was in his like 20s or 30s but so it wasn't young young but i mean 30s a young time it's not like damon dash was like a teenager or a child or an adolescent whereas kanye west was 30 but it's still none regardless it's still a young age to lose your parents so i remember think i remember provoking myself to think about it and i don't know why i did that but i remember it provoked the strongest emotional response I've ever had. And it was the greatest fear of my life. And so ever since then, it's been imprinted on my memory to fear. Like I, I, for example, in my job, when I was in training a couple of months ago, there were several people, at least three that I can remember who either lost their, lost a parent or lost a, or lost a sibling. And so I remember thinking to myself like, fuck. And then we get reports of like people in our career field committing suicide. Like we just got a report like this past week of someone who committed suicide. And it's one, it's funny. Cause I don't know these people, but their family, like I'm in the military and I get if some people don't like the military and, and, and growing up, I was even the person who I would see death on the TV or the internet. And it wasn't, it wasn't a long time. It, it hasn't been a long time since I, I hear about death and I get emotional now and I start crying. Like, 
when I was younger, Kevin, 22, 21, I would see shit like the George Floyd shit. And this is just a moment of transparency and honesty that I hope people can empathize with just uh, in my temperament. I would, I would see about sex trafficking and things like the George Floyd thing or whatever. And there would be no emotional response. And for the longest time, I thought something was wrong with me. And one of the only things that could actually evoke an emotional response was like my mother being gone. Um, so now, thankfully, like I've grown into the person who like, I, it's not like Leslie said, like, I, I would try to make myself cry in like certain moments or movies or like on news. I'm like, what? I'm like, something's wrong. I'm a sociopath. I'm like, I can't cry. Like I try to like, well, I, I, I we're not, <laughs> not like me. No, <laughs> I am empathize with, with what you're saying, but yeah. And let me say this. I'm not going to say the name. Um, me and Vince and Leslie, she knows the person when me and Vince were, I think Vince might've been at Wilmington. We were in North Carolina. We lost a friend that we'd spent a year with in a program uh and if if it it sent me it, it fucked me up like emotionally and it was like it was heavy and it was it was griefful and it was hard but i remember sitting at the viewing for the funeral because that that person's funeral was in another state and so the the we had to watch it like through live stream and i couldn't cry but i remember feeling heavy and torn up inside but i couldn't cry and like Leslie was saying, this is a real, I just want to relate. Like, I think people can relate to this. I was sitting in that room trying to make myself cry. And I was like, why can't I fucking, I feel so. Um, so thankfully, uh, whatever happened, happened in my life. And I got to a place where now I'll just like bawl my fucking eyes out. So it's a weird thing. But I remember the only thing that could probably evoke that kind of emotion consistently throughout my life, whether I was cold or not cold, was the idea of losing my mom. And still to this day, losing my parents. The, the day that I, because my brother's old. I have one older brother, my dad, my mom. I'm not close with any of my extended family. The, the, conscious, the, the, the constant anxiety in my mind daily or monthly or weekly is one day I'm going to have to get a call. I don't know at what time in my life. And the call is going to be your mom is gone. Your dad is gone. You're, or they're in the hospital. You have, you have to get on a plane. Come, they're, they're about to. So that's the, that, that more than my own death, ironically enough, more than my own death, the death of my mom first, then the death of my dad and my brother are the most uncomfortable thoughts I've ever had of death. No, I kind of going back to what I was saying about getting older, I feel like my idea of death being something that's in the distance and not relevant to me at my age. I think that specific death that Kevin's referencing was the first like crack and that it shook me. I just, it like shook me. I, I can still remember finding out I was literally in class and I had to just like dip out because I was like crying mid class. I was like, you know what? I can't do this. I got to dip out. But I remember sitting in class finding out and having to dip out crying. So I was like, mm, this is too much. But it was just such a, the first time you lose someone that isn't, you know, a grandparent, uh, not to downplay that, like it's always hard, but it just, I think it just changed your relationship with death. Um, and I just in the sense ready. that it's sort of not like natural causes or you know just time where you've already sort of had time to think about it like you do with grandparents you mean that I think both like yeah but it even regardless if it's natural or not like there's like, deaths can come for anyone at any time um, which I think you know that cerebrally but feeling that viscerally when you lose someone that you're with every day for a year was a mm. lot and I handled that that death so badly I felt bad I like ignored um our our like leader from that time i didn't come back to Fayetteville for the viewing i just was shook and like posted mm -hmm. up in my wilmington dorm <laughs> not knowing how to process or what to even say or do oh man i never knew you didn't come back for the viewing i i didn't know this person like as well yeah 
Well, there were two things Kevin brought up that I would love to hear Vincent's answers on. And like, I can also share if you want, but one is like, yeah, how you feel about thinking about death of your parents or if there's people in your life like that, Vincent, where it's like, yeah, that's the place that's just like, it'll make you ball, Mm -hmm. whatever. And then also sort of like, when you think about your own death, you know, Kevin talked about legacy being such an important thing, right? Especially in relation to his artistry, his poetry. So like both of those are really interesting to me. I definitely think about losing people in my life that I love family mostly, but everyone a lot um, like a disturbing cadence probably of, of just like ruminating on like just my letting my imagination probably sit where it shouldn't sit too long of like losing them, getting the call. What would happen afterwards? What everyone's response be? What their funeral be like? <laughs> just sitting and wallowing Taking in this, it way like, too far down this cinematic reality. experience. And then I'm like, I'm like, why am I? Uh... Wow, <laughs> disrespect. <laughs> um, Leslie's publicist was trying to reach out to her. She's so popular. Uh, but sitting in that space and then being like, wow, why am I like in a sad mood all of a sudden? Like, who who would have thought? Um, but I I do think about it. I don't know. Like, I, I don't know if that's weird or not. I don't. Does, does anyone not just daydream about losing people? Well, did that start? Was that always the case, or did that happen after you know your friend died, and then you know later? Vincent and I also had a very close friend for both of us die, and Kevin knows that person too. So, like, was it after one of those incidents, or was it already? I think it became more prominent after those instances but I feel like even growing up like I had this like sick imagination of like the rapture coming and then like me being left behind and like who like I would just have different dreams of like different family members and friends being left behind which isn't the same as dying but I think in my young like Christian mind like that's the that's things I was like subconsciously trying to process Um, yes it's so funny you brought that up because I literally was just telling my sister this yesterday. Something triggered the memory that I used to get lost a lot, like in like when we would go family shopping, like in Walmart or wherever. And the reason it would happen sounds, is because sounds I would, right. Yeah, I would be like really in my head, like following along behind my mom. And then what usually happened is someone else with a similar colored shirt would like at one point be, and I would just start following that person without realizing. And I'd be like, oh no! And every time that happened, I thought that my family had been raptured and I had been left behind. I was literally every time, especially my mom. I was like, if anybody's making it, my mom is making it. Like if she's not here, I'm toast, you know? (laughs) So I never thought about anybody else being left behind. It was me. And for anyone who this is your first episode listening, Vincent and I have deconstructed from having been raised very conservative Christian. Uh, Kevin's still very faithful Christian, albeit a countercultural one, Mm. I would say. He's not subservient. He's not subservient. <laughs> gang, gang, you bitch-ass motherfuckers. Fuck. Okay. <laughs> not you two, as in the Christians. Like, the people who, are, people who are orthodox, faithful Christians, who are atypical Western Christians, y'all are the bitch-ass motherfuckers. Y'all no, who are typical. That's what I'm saying. We they, yeah, cannot they, use words today. <laughs> it's a struggle. It's Sunday. It's cloudy in L.A. It's a bad omen. Um, but your question about legacy. Uh, I do but i feel like it's not in the context of death it's more of just like what what impact do i want to make um i feel like it doesn't go in the same direction or maybe as deep as perhaps like kevin's does 
that makes sense for me um thinking about you know people in my life dying and then also thinking about like after I die both really changed after uh our close Vincent and I's close friend passed away like two years ago two and a half years ago and after that I just started proactively well see it's weird because like I said I grew up really thinking about it but maybe it wasn't totally like engaged like it was like keeping it in this safer you know place to where I could also like survive and like not be (laughs) you know and so but then once I lost someone really close to me who yeah was part of my everyday life like I it was almost like I think a defense mechanism where I spend quite a bit of time thinking about uh playing out different scenarios of if people in my life died but it's more so like so that I will Mm -hmm. have had enough time to prepare for the next time it happens because I have definitely distinctively had the thought and this is gonna sound awful I don't know if anyone will be able to relate but like for a while after that close friend died I kept having the thought like all right if anybody else in my life who I love is gonna die at some point I just wish they would fucking die right now because I don't want to like I would rather just get all of this over at once. I never want to feel this way again. Like I don't want to heal and be better and be three down three years down the road and someone fucking die again and me be destroyed for like another how long of my life. So which it sounds awful, but I was like, I'd rather they just die now. Like I was like, get it out the way. <laughs> um hmm. that's how I feel about that. Not truly. How, how else did you kind of hinted at this, but how else did your relationship with death and the way you thought about it change after that? Like, do the contours of even what you were imagining, besides, like, the rapture piece, did, it, did that also change? Um, well, the other piece of, like, as far as thinking about death in my sense, um, it's almost, it's not quite the opposite of what Kevin's saying, but it's definitely different in the sense I almost don't want to have a legacy in the sense of, like, a story that's told about me because the thing is I saw that happen to my friend after he passed our friend and I saw people sort of like sanctifying him and it's this is not I have like this is not to talk down on how anyone else grieves at all this is just like my personal feelings and I kind of there would just be some things that got like really smoothed over and like you know like when talking about him it would be like this almost yeah like this saintly caricature that was like and just nothing he did was wrong because obviously there was so much love and like we wanted to like talk about all the good things but, you know, and I had those, these conversations with some of um, our mutual friends with him, too. I was just like, man, like, we loved talking about the hilariously, like, bad things about this friend, right? And, like, the faults and, like, all the flaws. Because that's part of what made him him. And, like, we right. loved those things. It was just like, it's part of the I mean, fullness we get the of his, desire. Of exactly. his personhood, like, of his humanity. Yeah, and that's how I just have had that thought about myself, like, I kind of want to write some kind of little letter for like if it happens unexpectedly just be like hey guys just by the way like don't don't do that like you can talk about all my flaws all my faults like I want you to like I I don't care about having some good story told about me I'd rather just the people I loved and who loved me like remember me how how I really was you know and how we really were together so oof yeah, let me, right, let me let me let me let me pick up on that. Like I, I I remember talking to a friend in in the military, and he was like, he's super like cerebral and emotional. He was talking just so removed from the exact person that Leslie was just referencing. Leslie was just referencing. 
he was talking about man like the one of the reason he was talking he was deconstructing the idea of these rituals and ceremonies we do as american people so marriage or as a people as human as human race marriage graduation funerals and so he was talking about like man one of the reasons i don't like fuck with funerals is because like motherfuckers get up there and you'll say a bunch of shit that just ain't true like you'll get up there and just start lying and saying all this good shit about this person and so i thought about it and as let's this was, person like, ended world hunger and they're like what? like yeah and then like mo- like pa- like pastors will get up there and like say shit about someone like especially if the person wasn't like a believer they'll say shit within the faith structure that just isn't true so what i want to say like and and if anyone hears what leslie is saying and has an issue with it my my appeal is one of the things that makes if, if you're a realistic human being one of the things that makes human beings so beautiful is if you under if you see someone in every nuance and every facet meaning like i remember cornell and like oh, we reference cornell west a lot cornell west was talking to joe rogan he was talking i forgot he was talking about an artist who had like beat his wife and done drugs and done all this why so he was like abusing women but he was such a great artist and all this shit so like fuck the pc shit you can plug in anyone right now let's plug in r kelly let's plug in bill cosby let's plug in every un like oj said let's plug in every un let's pick more we- inspiring examples but because yes. because well, no no because i need to pick uninspiring well i mean i need to pick examples that are very harsh and current to the climate and that people can feel the emotion of can feel like the brashness of because one of the things about the hum- about about like being at a funeral and like the beautiful thing about seeing people cry at a funeral is like at least for me is like if this person was like beautiful all across the board then yeah of course we're all sitting here and it's like yeah well of course we all love them then but they would have been ugly in my humble opinion no boring. same 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 so for me as an artist, I endorse, I privately endorse and say and do and agree with a lot of shit that would get us canceled. So the reason I bring these names up is because like, I remember people, there's this quote that goes around that floats around within pop culture that people aren't going to say, people aren't going to remember what you say, but they're going to remember how you made them feel. And so with situations where like Leslie is talking about where like, nobody's perfect. And that's one of the beautiful things about the capacity of human beings is that you can come into your goal. Every human being is going to have to come into a relationship with someone who is imperfect. And one of the most beautiful things about our capacity as human beings is that we can come into relationship with people who are imperfect in very unconventional, unorthodox, uncomfortable ways, polarizing ways. And our capacity for love to love someone but our, but then the person who is un, who is unorthodox or uncomfortable and inappropriate, their capacity to be lovable, their capacity to like make you feel something, even in their non PCness and like how they like rub people the wrong way. But it's like, but you love me, you know you love me. I'm inappropriate. And I, I'm the kid who I'm the four year old who's screaming at the pizza restaurant when your parents wanted to go out and have a nice dinner and be like the nice family and you're the immigrant family. So you didn't want to make a ruckus and you didn't want to be looked down upon by the other white people in the restaurant. Like, oh, look at that brown family make like they can't get their kids under control because they don't know how to like educate their kids properly within an American society. And the kids like but you and the kid gets older and understands I'm still that kid who's like loud in the pizza restaurant at the family dinner that was supposed to be nice for the one time a month we got to go out and eat. So like I was displaying all these behaviors that make me unlovable, but like, don't make me feel unlovely. Yeah. There's things about me and characteristics that make me unlovable, but don't make me feel unlovely. You love me. Tell me you love me. Tell and tell the world you love. So that's, I think is the beauty when we sit at a funeral, if we're able to sit there and go like, 
this person wasn't perfect, but but that's what we do. We take the good with the bad. Like me, from a coming from a Christian worldview, Job is sitting there in the Bible, and Job is this person who lost all of his family, and all this tragedy came upon him. And before he gets deep into beginning to charge God with wrong, he goes. His wife is telling him to curse God, and he goes, "Am I supposed to accept good from God and not accept bad from God? God gives and God takes away, but blessed be His name." No matter what he does to me, he is still the same in who he is and his nature and character and blessed be his name. And so I think that's the kind of attitude that we should approach. That's the attitude I don't, I'm not going to put upon anyone else and a, a gravity or an obligation to approach funerals with. That's the attitude I approach life and funerals with of like, no, 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 no. One of the most beautiful things about me being able to step up here and have fond memories about this person who passed away is I'm holding in conjunction my thoughts of praise about this person, I'm holding it in conjunction with my thoughts of they weren't perfect. They had shortcomings. They had flaws. They had failures. And they had faults. And the beautiful thing about the human race is we all have them. So if I can see someone get up there and go, in spite of this person's shortcomings, we love them. My God, like our, our, our hearts wanted to explode because of how much we love this person, even in spite of the things that made them unlo- unlovely or unlovable. We were, our capacity well, to love them. because of, in my, again, in my opinion. Yeah, no, not yes, even yes. in spite of, like, it feels really good to talk about, like, like I laugh talking about some of the ways, like, this friend who yeah. passed would be super grumpy at certain times. And, like, anyone who really knew him, like, when you talk about that type of grumpiness, it's just, like, so funny and so joyful. Because, yeah. like, yeah, it was annoying AF, but, like, that it, it wasn't even an in spite of. Like, that's the thing, you know, <laughs> which I, yeah. But I agree. It made you, I agree. It, it, it made yeah. you feel, and there's it sometimes, so and I'll just, yeah, I'll just cap it with this. Like sometimes I think oftentimes we, we as people and our different personalities and temperaments will get, we have to spend, especially if you work an actual job and like not just a homebody who's like an entrepreneur and gets to like be in your own little bubble. When you have to go out in life and interact, like Vince moving from North Carolina to Wilmington or Leslie going from North Carolina to Jersey to Hawaii, or me having to go from my father's military career to my own Air Force career, you get put in the mixture of so many people that you get across some people that like either they don't make you feel anything because they're so bland and dull or they make you feel bad and so to get around people who even like like you like to get around i'll say it like this because i because knowing who you guys are talking about that person is like there's times where i was like i you i you, you frustrate me so much i want to shake this shit out of you but like leslie said because you you make me feel and because you make me feel there's almost like a two-sided coin of of frustration and love so that coin easily flips the same reason you're able to frustrate me and pull those strings and push those buttons is the same immediate flip of that coin that like can make me feel these feelings of like jubilance and joy and like, my God, my heart is endeared to you. You couldn't frustrate me if my heart wasn't endeared to you. So in the same way, to the same capacity mm. that you're able to frustrate me, That's you're also, you're, you're able to make me go, my, like I, this, this one girl that I used to love in eighth grade who like broke my heart. She had, she had her. Tying it back to one of your past loves. <laughs> Shout out to MySpace and her MySpace oh my bio and her and this her MySpace. This has been a ride, and I am here for it. Go ahead, Kevin. In her in her MySpace bio, she put "Love me or hate me, it's still an obsession." And she, and she I, was quoting Lady Sovereign, the song "Love Me or Hate she, Me." Shout out, shout, love me, hate me, it's still an obsession. <laughs> shout out, love me. She just wrote that out. <laughs> and I was like, "Girl, I love you and I hate you," so I'm doubly upset. <gasps> so. <laughs> So like that's the beautiful 
that's the complex and beautiful nature of human beings is I don't think you can have someone that you genuinely heart exploding love who doesn't have the ability to at any moment be able to push you rapidly over the edge of hearts infuriating frustration because you're in that vulnerable. So I just want to say like, man, like I, I agree with Leslie and I think we should be human and I think we should be empathetic about our own nature in that it's okay to like, and we're, it, it's, it's not to focus or to highlight or to like demonize or criminalize the person. It's okay to like be honest about the mosaic and how we paint them and go, but that's why we love them. If it wasn't for both sides of the coin of how they could flip our emotions about them at any given moment, then it's like almost imperfect in a fake story in a sitcom. But that's why we love them because you were able to, the fact that you were able to frustrate me to that extent, but I, you were also able to create moments that made me love you to the ends of the earth. If it weren't both, if it weren't the darkness and the light, if it wasn't the contrast, I wouldn't be able to see how I loved you so much. And that's why I'm able to stand up here and go, I love you so much. It's because of that contrast. This is very unprocessed. This might go nowhere. Um, but I've, I've been thinking through, cause we've been talking a lot of like how, like we grew up in a relationship to death and how we thought about it. And, and these interacting with these deaths in our lives over the past few years and I feel like my view on death has actually evolved in the past year specifically hopefully but I, I feel confident in like a very positive way where now like when I say death I feel like I'm thinking more in line with the uh, shout out Ben Howard but the Ben Howard song I will be blessed which I feel like I stumbled back upon earlier this year and I listened to a lot but, like the whole idea of like on my deathbed like, who are the people that I want there to be with me, right? Like, the people that um, that you see with, like, your last breath, um, which is dark, but honestly, I think, like, really beautiful. And it kind of reminds me of what you guys are saying, right, of, like, really taking inventory of the people in my life that I really care about and really embracing them, not just the things that I love about them, but the negatives, too, and, like, embracing it wholeheartedly, Um and that being what I think about when I think about death and, and me leaving, uh, thinking about my time now with the people I love, um, which is a market different uh, posture That's than so I had different. like two or three or four years ago, v very much more dark and like misanthropic well, back in the day. It's so interesting because it's like the anti-eternity, you know, it's like just focusing on up to the last moments of like what you know that there will be and beyond that, like, have you thought about if you, if there's something that makes like human death different than any other kind of death on earth and like what might happen afterward or do you just no, not a, as much? That's a good point. Maybe this is like the crossroads of me, A, accepting, no, I don't believe that there's an afterlife or like there's anything that, that special that happens after human death. I think it's no different than our memories of before we were born like that void of space time is what we'll be looking forward to so i think it's a crossroads of that um as well as me just trying to be a better friend and like take better care of my relationships after not taking good care for uh, a dark couple of years so maybe that maybe those crossroads of those two like life journeys of mine or what paint my view of, of death as such Touching on that, I'm so sorry. I talk so much. Touching on that, one uh, thing. Tell it's, us, it, it's, it's 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 funny. Um, one thing, especially being in the military and the possibility of death being a real thing, I've told myself that if I ever get into a situation preeminently where I know there's a high risk of death, I've always wanted to record a video right beforehand and go like, 
if I die, mom, I want you to know your son is strong. Your son, like I, I anticipated this and I just don't, cause you know, like if, 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 if someone dies in a tragic way before their time of unnatural causes, I'll see these movies and these sitcoms where the family want to know, like, did he die? Did he die in peace? Did he die painfully? And so I remember always thinking to myself, I always want to make a video for my friends and family and go, please, like, especially if I put myself into a circumstance, like signing myself up for a military contract, I just want to make a video real quick to let my friends know, hey, hey, I'm anticipating my death. So if you see this, it's because I died. And I want you guys to know, like, of course, grieve how you need to grieve. But please know, like, I didn't go over there, like, like, almost like trying to fight for my life as if like, I was desperately like, terrified and cowardice, like, understand that I put myself into a circumstance, your friend, your son is strong. And I want you to know, like, I, I walked into this with a peace of mind of knowing I'm ready to, to accept whatever the consequences of my actions in my life course was. And I just don't want you to feel like in my last moments or in leading up to this moment, there was some level of like, out of control, like some lack of control that I felt and that I died in this like very um, scared and in, in, in a way where you, I don't, I, I just don't, I want to alleviate some level of suffering from you and maybe thinking like, oh, our poor son or our poor, like, so it's, 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 it's just so, I think it's so weird how we hold our own death in comparison to what our, what our, like we're all, I think in terms of death, at least for me, I don't know if you guys really the same way. I always am thinking of the impact of, of, of how of of the effect on the outside people so if my parents die it fucks me up if i die i don't want my parents to be fucked up like my own death is like all right i'm cool but i just don't like i just don't want the people i love to have to carry more burden and grief and gravity than they have to so i think it's just it's such a weird dynamic no i feel that and since we're just on the heavy gravy chain we'll just stay there but in my worst mental health and i know like i know like kevin could probably i, I mean i know you can relate but i think that that exact dark ideation is a good safety net for like passive suicide ideation, right? Like it's not just me leaving the earth, but it's like ruminating on the effect of me leaving the earth and the effect mm -hmm. on my family. Um, it's like, even if I am not that motivated to still be on this earth, I, I don't want to leave that kind of suffering, you know? Yeah, yeah. It, it weighs heavy on my conscience. Even if yeah. my conscious stops existing. <laughs> oh, oh my god! We can't, we can't <laughs> <laughs> no, Vince just oh, got Vince. Vince, Vince got me. <laughs> I'm about to start crying because Vince got me fucked up. Because like, so like, just to be yeah, just to share and be honest for a second, like I, I, I know Vince went through a hard time when he got to LA mentally, and and there was moments where like when he when. I wasn't talking to Leslie yet, but we were, he was experiencing the death of a friend and, and I'd known that friend. And so I remember reaching out to Vince several times because I just didn't, I, I didn't know what to do. And I just, I thought to myself, if nothing else, I'm going to be annoying and reach out. But on top of him losing a friend, on top of Vince going through like mental health issues, um, I then went through my own mental health issues of having passive suicidal ideations. And so it, it, it's, as Vince said, it, it provoked me and, and it, 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 it rubbed me in a certain way because like, that's, I think there's this stigma with suicide of at least I used to have until I had them where I thought those people are just entirely, and I didn't nuance the picture. I thought they were just entirely weak and fragile and frail and selfish. That's a real thing of people who struggle with suicidal thoughts. They're sitting there going, some of them are sitting there going, I don't want anyone I love to carry more burden than they have to. So in this, I'm actually going to try to be considerate of 
of who may be impacted by this. And I think it's just like a, it's just, it's, I think Vince just put it so beautifully into nuance and bring more um, empathy and more sophistication to the, to the dynamic of anyone who struggles with suicidal thoughts that these are, these are strong people. These are beautiful people. These are, they're not like, they're not people to be looked down upon or consented upon or thought weaker than or thought like less than in society. They have such complex and beautiful natures. And if they have, end up doing committing suicide, it's such a, it's such a tragic event for the people who have to carry the gravity after it. But it, that's a real thing of people who struggle with those thoughts of like, they, they think about those things and they take into consideration. So it's, yeah, I, I just want to thank Vince for, for mentioning that because it's a true and real and beautiful statement. It's, it's like a dark beauty though, right? Like kind of going back to, I feel like my posture now is that like death is like scary in some sense, like regardless, but it really just, to me, points to points back, like staring at death, it points back at life and that the things in life that I hold dear and need to hold more dear um which is yeah it's like a it's a, a dark twisted beauty almost yes yes yeah leslie i'm curious i don't off the piggyback of our deconstruction talk what is your like relationship with the afterlife and does that have any impact on your current relationship with death and mortality yeah i would also love to hear um can share about that and i'd love to hear like how kevin how you would describe your understanding of the afterlife too because obviously i know what christians but i feel like you'd probably i'd love to hear it like in your words um and your interpretation of that for sure but um i think that at this point i in some sense do still believe that there's some form of like continued consciousness after human death um, and I don't really have any good, it's not because I've like done a lot of research or like, it's literally not, it's just like this feeling and it's more so been my feelings of after that close friend died, like I actually wrote a little essay on it that Vincent read. Um, and, you know, at this point, I don't know, it might just be my way of dealing with and processing and you know what I mean? Like, and I recognize that, but it is the something that resonates with, with me where I, I do still sense that person's presence as existing, which is one of those unexplainable things where it's like, I don't know if that's just like me carrying them in my heart or not. And there's not a way of knowing. Um, it doesn't really stress me out because we literally can't know until it happens. Um, but I have this my like gut is like I feel like there's some sort of continued which even I'm still so early in the stages of learning but even with learning more about the origins of the universe and the continued processes and I, I also don't think it's totally like an unfounded thought that it's possible that in some way we don't understand we continue <clears throat> my voice just sounded weird I it was not emotional my <laughs> But anyway, cry, cry, cry for the audience, Leslie. Uh, um, you have all that practice of cosplaying grief when you were younger. You should be able to cry on demand now. True, 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 true. Um, yeah, like, does that make sense? When when I talk about yes. it, actually, sort of, yeah, it's like we just might not know what that looks like or means. But it doesn't actually seem like it's purely illogical to think that there's some form of continued consciousness, whether that's being absorbed into a broader sense of it um 
but yeah i'm not sure did you before i want to hear kevin's thoughts too but like did you ever go down those trains vincent after you deconstructed um, those, those pathways basically of like this type of thought yeah i mean yeah i think that's where i was immediately mm. after deconstructing and before like really constructing my more mm. secular understanding of life and consciousness um you would think that i would be maybe i was you would think that i would be more upset at like the the thought that there is no afterlife um but i'm not actually i feel very at peace with it surprisingly mm. well your lens of it pointing back at life is really beautiful hmm. and makes sense yeah with why it wouldn't be as upsetting what what does heaven mean to you kevin and like what do you think is actually going to happen when you die um so or not uh, even okay. heaven but the afterlife yeah 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 um so i definitely i definitely still hold a traditional view of the idea of a consciousness after post human life so death we die i i i in my in my head in my interpretation my worldview kevin ortiz the body goes into the grave the body ceases to exist and then something of an amalgam of my soul, spirit, and consciousness transfers to a different reality and realm. Um, and so I think because of, because of a very complicated biblical worldview, I think that goes into an interim space. And then I think a certain thing happens in history with Jesus and with God. And then, it, man, this, I'm, I'm, if, if you're Christian, I'm, I'm really sorry. And I'm not trying to offend anybody. And I'm not trying to like... I'm not trying to impose worldviews. I'm just trying to paint the picture as clearly as I can of what I, of, of the views that I hold. So this, what I'm going to say is I'm not trying to like make anyone, like I'm not trying to discount anyone's worldview of what happens after death. I'm just trying to paint what I believe to be the biblical account. So I think up until a certain moment of where Jesus is supposed to come back in my held worldview, there's this interim space of my consciousness, soul, and spirit that they go into. And then Jesus comes back. And I think this current world we live in, the, cur the new, the, there's, a, there's a current heaven and a current earth the current heaven, heavenly space where God exists and spiritual entities exist. And it slightly overlaps with the current physical space of earth. And I think that old, that new, that old heaven, the current heaven and the current earth pass away a new, what the Bible says in revelations, the new city, the new Jerusalem descends from heaven and what Adam and Eve were supposed to be responsible for in the beginning, which is starting with the garden and then cultivating the entire world by populating, being fruitful and multiplying and creating cities and technology and music and education and science and all these things. I think and skyscrapers and, and planes and travel and, and all. I think all that. If you're listening and not watching the YouTube video, Kevin just did a whole finger tut while he was describing this and it was actually beautiful it added like a 3d element but sorry carry on no you're good thank you um I, I, so i think that's going to be the reality i think some like I, of course a lot of people paint heaven as like we're going to sit on the clouds with it's going to be super boring because we're going to just be angels playing harps we're just staring at this this being all day and for our attorney that's gonna be super fucking boring um and i think it's gonna like i think i get this from my from the pastor who i used to who I used to study up under for a long time. I think it's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. I don't think people are going to sit in clouds all day. I think we're going to have a new earth and it's going to reset. It's going to go, all right, like a game, reset back to square one, the way it was supposed to be. But now there's a new way of doing things, a new way of not being able to fuck things up. And now we get to start over and live on earth, but a better earth and a better life. And so I think everything we experience now 
like the ability to, to, to create and evolve and, and, and grow and progress and advance as society and as human beings and, and to strive for more and to strive for better. I think all those things are going to exist, but it's just, it's the, the worldview that I hold is without pain, without tears, without hurting, without aching, without death. Um, and then and I just want to add this little caveat because I think it's, it's, it's interesting and very untraditional for me to say, and I always want to like rub Christians the wrong way every time we do this podcast. There's a scripture where, where King David says, um, uh, his his child dies and he says I, he can't come back to me but one day i will go to him that child wasn't old enough because that child died upon birth that child wasn't old enough to cognitively understand the idea of having a relationship with god so by current 2020 day standards of christianity that child technically couldn't have been saved but guess what what david says in the scriptures is he won't come to me but i'll go to him inspired by the holy spirit david says i'm going to him so there's this notion where david's saying he's in heaven i'm going to be with him one day um there's a scripture in job which is poetry and i get it but it says who knows whether the spirit of animal goes into the ground uh descending into like hades or up into the skies within the heavens and so this idea of christians saying oh dogs don't go to heaven and then there's this idea where like um this this pro this king in the old testament he goes and speaks to a necromancer to a to a witch and he gets the witch to conjure a previous Israelite prophet from wherever he was. And so I remember asking my pastor about that and he, he couldn't answer it for me. And he was like, I don't know what to say about that, that verse, because if I say that it's true, it validates witchcraft. But if I say, if it's not true, the scripture itself says, and Samuel arose from the ground and the witch screamed because she realized the witch was only able to conjure like, like a certain kind of spirit. And the witch realized, oh shit, this isn't the spirit that I usually conjure. This is like, it looks like a God. It looks like the actual person that he was trying to get up. And I'm not used to seeing this. And so I mentioned the, the spirit of an animal after death. I mentioned the spirit of a baby because, and I mentioned the spirit of the idea of like this spiritual realm aspect where there's this, there's this, even in life, there's this spiritual realm that overlaps our physical um, and where people may die and go to and transition into. Um, that's very untraditional and unorthodox within the Christian faith or people at least don't want to talk about. And I want, you, I want to mention all those things because when people hear me say new heaven and new earth and people say me new Jerusalem and we start over in Jesus and comes back in God, I want them to understand that like I'm, I'm, I'm not just trying to paint the canvas and, and how a lot of oppressive Christians have tried to paint the view of life and death, the views that I hold on life and death with Leslie asking, what are your views on heaven or afterlife or what happens after we die? I, I leave a lot of space for like even other faith systems. Like again, Cornell West, Dr. Cornell West says, no one faith system has a wholesale monopoly on the truth. I think there's ideas within other faith systems that's like, huh, we can't just invalidate that idea. For example, I think it's either Hinduism or Buddhism where you talk about incarnation within the scriptures. It says Elijah the prophet was incarnated his spirit in John the Baptist. It says Elijah, Jesus says that. And so when you look at it, maybe you don't want to use the word incarnation because it's very uncomfortable for you and people would call you a heretic, but that's literally, I don't care what word you use. Use, the idea is there where Elijah the prophet was reincarnated as John the Baptist. And so I just want to paint that idea because I don't want anyone listening to this. But as, as, as much as I like to be un-PC or uncontroversial, I'm very sensitive to the idea of other faith systems and trying to create space for our listeners. And so I want to leave the idea open that like, I have very traditional biblical plain interpretation of the Bible views on death and afterlife. Um, but by no means am I trying to hold what I consider to be my interpretation of truth as the objective and only interpretation. And I want anyone who's of a different faith system or different beliefs to understand that this is absolutely a space and that, that provides allowance 
um, for your, for anyone else's truth to come in and be like, I don't think my truth invalidates your truth. I think those truths and a lot of those nuances of our, our, our differing truths can exist together. Love that. Well said. And if I can just make a plea to the audience, I feel like every podcast we try and preface this kind of thing. So please just take our word and maybe we can move forward without having to always preface that we're not leaving space for people that disagree with our worldviews. Yeah. <laughs> it's like every podcast that should be the name of our podcast (laughs) well this was actually i'll say that going into this talk for some reason i felt very naively like oh this will just be super easy to talk about but i feel like in the same way vincent mentioned in our last week's episode which was deconstruction you know toward the end after like almost two hours he was like you know we barely scratched the surface I feel like we even less scratch the surface with this one. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> okay, so what I'll say is, this is what I want to say in, in, our, in our parting thoughts in, about death. This is, um, this is my soapbox, so bear with me. Uh-oh. If you are a church, if you are a pastor, and if you are a Christian, and the, and the way you are trying to evangelize non-believers or the way you are trying to sanctify current believers is by fear-mongering and painting a portrait of death and hell as the primary motivation to push people towards Jesus, you are wrong and you will be judged harshly for how you handled the idea of the gospel while on earth. And I'm not joking. I'm so serious. And I'm, if I wasn't an empathetic person, I would punch you in your fucking face. So in speaking of death, because it's such a... I wish every Christian person before they evangelize had to experience the death of a loved one. So they understood the gravity of having to speak to someone about death. Cause if you walk up to someone in a Walmart parking lot and go, do you know where you're going after you die? Dog. Ooh. I had a friend. I had, I had a friend call me when I was 18 years old. Cause his little two year old brother slipped and fell into a swimming pool and they walked down to the backyard. And his little brother was face down two years old in a swimming pool. Don't talk to my friend about, do you know where? Cause he called, he wasn't a believer. And we stopped talking for a little while. He calls me 10 o'clock at night in tears going, my little brother, two-year-old, just drowned in a pool. Kevin, is he going to heaven? As an 18-year-old Christian, I didn't know what the fuck to say to him. So we had to talk, and it was awkward. It was uncomfortable. But I remember in my empathy of just understanding that I was talking to a hurting human being about the death of a loved one, that what I wasn't about to say was the idea that if his little two-year-old brother couldn't cognitively understand the Romans road or the gospel, that he was burning in this idea of a conscious hell. Because again, I'm going to revert back to King David talking about his child that Sheba first got impregnated with and him saying, I can't, he's not going to come back to me, but I'm going to go to him. So what I'll say is, As the Christian of this podcast, if you are a Christian listening on the topic of death, please take into consideration if you're talking about afterlife or death or hell or heaven with human beings, please understand, please just, please just be empathetic and understand you're talking to human beings who have emotions and anxieties and mental ailments and they carry, they carry grief and somber and sorrow and depression and and we, we just carry so please be you never know what someone's going through in their life so whether you're talking to another believer or a non-believer please carry that conversation with the utmost graciousness and empathy so as to try to consider not putting more of a burden of grief upon that person period while also recognize oh <laughs> cut motion and i'm piping in 
Oh, no, no, that was the period cup. You're, you're, oh, okay. You're, you're good. While also recognizing, and I think we've said this in our last one, but actually didn't go down this path too far. Like, I, to an extent, yeah, like, I mean, totally hear you. And I think what you said, Kevin, is necessary. Like, it's something that needs to be said. Um, and obviously, again, that's, yeah, not from the outside. Look, it's like I was in Christian culture for so long. Here we go it again, prefacing. But I also do have like I understand why people feel like it's urgent and they want to put things in that context so it goes both ways and like um it relates to this conversation and that deconstruction talk and it didn't come up but it's an ending note that makes sense for me like for what I have to say about it which is like you know I really hope that the Christians in my life like when you guys were talking about wanting to alleviate suffering for people in your life after you leave if you leave before them like for me I definitely also think about not just like me being gone but I just like don't want the Christians in my life to not only have to deal with me being gone but thinking that I'm suffering eternally so I'm very hopeful that in this life um is there some way right to where if we don't believe the same thing you can still not have to deal with that. I don't know. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there yeah. are more shades of truth, right? Like, I do think there's probably a way, like, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's real. That's real. Yeah. I really love, like, the, the like, bright and, like, lighthearted nature of our podcast. <laughs> Yeah. You asshole. You are you're an, you're an entire asshole. Yo, we're so sorry. Last week we did a heavy topic of deconstruction. This week, close to Halloween, we're like, we got festive for Halloween. Let's oh talk about God. death. We're so, listen, I promise we're gonna get like lighthearted and jubilant content and exciting and funny and controversial. I promise, but I mean if honestly I can speak for myself at least, but I I feel like my mind is in harmony with this podcast. Yeah. Just being honest. So no, yes, yes. Yeah. Same. Like I would actually, if I saw a couple of my friends talking about death, I'd be like, yeah, I really want to listen to this. You know, like we're all I'd thinking be here about for it, it anyway. Yeah. Um, in other news, hmm. I had this nice little thought yesterday. You know how sometimes you just have those epiphany moments. Mm-hmm. Like, we'll see if it hits. You know how in Asian culture, in many Asian cultures, this idea of respect for elders is so emphasized. And I was thinking for each of us, who we were as children, our past selves are actually our elders. Like they are, they come before us. So like who I was at 10 is an elder to myself. Because I'm not who that person was anymore. And I just wonder, this is completely unsubstantiated by anything, anyone, but I just had the little thought, I wonder if that's why there's such a common through line in many, especially like East Asian cultures, of this almost reverential enjoyment of a childlike strain. Like you think about Studio Ghibli, you think about Kawaii in Japanese culture, you think about in Korean culture, there's definitely a love like, and I, even in whoever you are, it's not just like a male, female thing, like there's this strange also emphasis of sort of like this wonder and this childlike type. Part of that, I think it's connected to nature and a lot of East Asian cultures, there's a stronger connection to the natural world um, and a lot of East Asian religions. But anyway, I was just like, oh, that's such a cool way of thinking about it. Like, 
a reverence for I don't know if anyone else thinks of it that way or if it's even a thing but I thought it was cool that is cool I know I know I, I, yeah I never thought of it that way that is cool we we need to have reference for what's that what's the like huge baby in spirited away you know oh is there a name yeah yeah does the baby have a name I don't know but whatever it is <laughs> that baby <laughs> we need to have respect Uh, thank you for listening to our podcast please consider subscribing if you enjoy our episodes on youtube or instagram or twitter i believe on all three it should be bottomless podcast that's b-t-t-m-l-e-s-s of course on instagram and twitter at bottomless podcast and then on youtube it should just be bottomless podcast uh and thank you guys hope you guys return for next episode bye bye bye